Hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Great to be together. So today we are introducing uh, a new series called Better Together. And what we want to do with the introduction is, is just talk about what is it going to be about, uh, why are we doing it, and just encourage one another to fully engage together with the series. And just to kind of put it out there up front, I think the best way that we can engage in this series to get the most out of it is to be part of a six-week Better Together life group. And if you're not yet in a six-week uh, life group that we're going to start here next week, you can easily find one today at the end of the service. Um, our groups that have availability for new folks are all featured in the gym. And so after the service, you can take a few minutes to just browse and find one that works uh, for you. Or another way to do that is if you want to open your home and just invite a few people over to your house to do the study together, that's a great way to do it also. And if you wanna consider that, just come on down front after the service, we'll have a quick uh, five to 10 minute briefing to get you started and on your way uh, to doing that. And also, if you're watching online today, you can be a part of this in the same way. Maybe you wanna start a Zoom group or just have a few people in, uh, in your friends or family group to come over and do it. You can use that response card at the bottom of the screen and we'll help you get started with that uh, also. And we're super excited about the series too because a team in the church, uh, Cody uh, and Adam they, and others, have put together a in-house produced video curriculum just for our study together. It's gonna to be a 10 minute discussion starter video they've made each week that you're gonna really uh, enjoy. And we're also planning a, a big outdoor service to end the series with. We'll have one service outside on the campus by the pond. It'll be a friend day and we'll have a big barbecue uh, to celebrate afterwards. So I think we're gonna have a great experience together. But how would you answer these questions? Does the church, God's gathered people, still matter? Is the church still relevant in a modern world? What is the church supposed to be about at its core? Who are we supposed to be and how do we relate to each other? One of the greatest needs in our world today is to recapture the New Testament teaching about the church and to see the church, to see God's gathered people as he sees it. I believe that in a world that is fracturing, it has never been more important to rediscover our New Testament DNA, to rediscover who God made us to be so that we can be that and be that city on a hill, to be a witness to a watching world. But if we're gonna do that, we've gotta understand at a deeper level and a more meaningful level who we are supposed to be together. And I wanna tell you, if you are a newer Christian, the things that we're gonna be talking about couldn't be more important. Why do I need to connect with God's people? How do I connect with God's people? What does that look like? Nothing could be more important. For some Christians, you have been hurt, you have been jaded at times uh, by God's people, and you need your soul refreshed because the one thing 
we must never do is give up on God's church because it is his plan A for his purposes to be worked out in the world. And there is no plan B. (laughs) The local church is the hope of the world because it carries the seed of the gospel. But what we do need to do sometimes is lift the hood, so to speak, re-examine the DNA, and make sure that we are embracing who God made the church to be. For others of us, maybe you have walked with the Lord a long time, and this is an opportunity to embrace these six images of how we relate to each other from the New Testament again, to embrace them in a deeper way with all of their richness and all of their power. And I know it has been that way for me as I've been looking at it again. So by way of introduction, here's what I want to do. I want to just briefly mention the six images from the New Testament that we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks, just to sort of give an overview and you have a sense of the direction that we're gonna be heading together over these six weeks. And then at the end, I'm gonna tack on another two that I think are particularly important for us today because they sort of set the foundation for everything else, okay? So what are the images that we're going to be talking about that the Bible gives us? Well, I think the most common word that the New Testament uses for describing how we relate to each other as the people of God is the word church. If you're following along in your outline, that's what you can write for number one. It's the first image, the first word, the word church. Here's an example of that. This is from Ephesians chapter three, verse 10. This is an amazing verse. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Think about that verse for just a moment. It is through the church, it is through the gathered people of God that God's wisdom, that God's glory is displayed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, which refers not only to the angelic rulers and authorities, but also to the fallen rulers and authorities in dark places. God's manifold wisdom, glory, and power is made known through the church. What is the church? Well, the Greek word that we translate church is the word ekklesia, and it means the people, it means people who have been called out and gathered for a particular purpose. And in this case, the purpose is worship. And this verse is telling us that the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms are seeing God's wisdom when we gather to worship. Right now, today, you are functioning as the ecclesia of God, those who have been gathered together for worship. And the angels are bowing near in awe as they see the unity of God's people proclaiming his praise. And so why do we gather and worship? 
What happens when we do that? How can we enter into that in a more meaningful way together? That'll be one of the subjects that we cover. Here is a second image that the New Testament gives us about how we relate together, and it is the word flock. Number two is flock. Listen to Acts 20, verse 28. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Christ bought us with his own blood and he is the chief shepherd. But how does Christ shepherd his flock? In what ways do the elders and leaders in a local church serve the church and care for it? How should they do that? And how can I joyfully receive this care? So that's flock. We'll cover that on one of our weeks. Here's a third image the New Testament gives us of how we relate to each other. Number three is the word body. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So how exactly together are we a body? What does that mean? Certainly one of the implications of it is that each of us, every one of us, has a divinely appointed place of service where we can give and receive. So where is that for me? Where is that for you? It's one of the ways we function as a body. Here is a fourth image the Bible gives us of how we relate to to one another, and it is the word saints. We relate to each other as a community of saints. We're not talking about the New Orleans football team. That's a whole different saints, but we are saints. And we think about that and we say, saints, really? Me, a saint? Uh, are, Are we saints? We are. We are saints and we are becoming saints. Listen to what Paul says about the church at Corinth. And remember, When Paul is saying this about Corinth, they're kind of a messed up church. If you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, like they got a lot of drama going on. There's a lot of stuff going on at Corinth. But listen to how he uh, addresses the letter to them. He says, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints, together with all those who in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are a community of saints. What does that look like? We are pursuing holiness, not just individually, but as a community project, something we do together. What does that look like? How do we do that? What are the implications of that, that we are a holy company and not just individuals? We'll talk about that on one of our weeks together. 
Here is a fifth image the Bible gives us of how we relate together. It is the word family. We're a family. <laughs> Listen to Galatians 6.10. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So what does it mean that we are a family? Well, it means we are to do good to one another, as that verse says. It means that we are to have genuine affection for one another. And it means that we have responsibilities towards one another and that we are to treat one another in a certain way. So what is that and how can we embrace that in a deeper, richer, more meaningful way? That'll be one of our subjects. And the sixth one, the sixth image of how we relate to each other is the word partners. We are mission partners. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about his relationship to the church at Philippi. He says, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time that you heard it until now. So one of the ways we're called to relate to each other is as partners in a common mission to love our neighbor, to love our community, and to share the good news. Not just sitting and soaking, but we are to do something together. We are co-workers, we are co-laborers, we are partners in something greater than ourselves. And so how can we embrace that together? We'll talk about that on week Six. So those are the six subjects that we're going to cover over the next uh, six weeks and discuss together in our groups. But I want to add two more before we go because they act as a foundation to everything else. I want you to listen to how Paul addresses the church at Rome with two words, and these two words have great implication for us as well. Here it is, Romans chapter one, verse one. It says, I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. And I wanna bring out two words, loved, and called. And so let's sit on that first one for just a moment. The word loved. I want you to understand this in all of its power that God loves the church. He loves the church. He bought you and I with his blood. In Ephesians, it even compares us to the bride of Christ. And we think about that and we say, well, that's, that's fine. That's good. I'm, I'm glad for it. Yeah, God loves the church. But I want to bring out for you an implication that is so important to everything that we do. 
Listen to 1 John 4.11. John says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, and here's the implication, we surely ought to love each other. Now, <laughs> listen to this. I must love what God loves, not simply in theory, like, you know, yeah, just talking about it in theory, but to love it in practice. If we want to grow in our faith, I will tell you the best way to do it. It is simply this. It is to come to church, to gather with God's people, and to choose to love the people that I find there in ordinary ways. You say, well, what do you mean by ordinary ways? Just the ways the Bible tells us to love one another. By welcoming one another, by accepting one another, by showing hospitality one to another, by listening to one another, caring for one another, meeting the practical needs of someone, being present for them in a time of grief, forgiving them when they hurt us. These are all ways that we demonstrate love to the people that we gather with, and it makes all the difference in the church being a city on a hill. When I was in elementary school, uh, myself, my parents, and my, my parents were new Christians at this time, and my siblings, showed up at the front door of Wellesley Baptist Church in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And we had no idea what we were doing. Church was not in our wheelhouse at that time. Uh, mom and dad had found, had accepted Christ through a Billy Graham crusade. And you know, Dr. Graham would always say, if you accepted Christ, you should go find a Bible-believing church. So that's what they did with the kids in tow. We showed up at the, at the front of this uh, church. And they chose to love us in very simple ways to embrace our little family. And it made all the difference for all of us. I still remember, even though I was just a little kid, I can still remember my Sunday school teachers. I can still remember the donut fellowship after church. This is how I knew it was the church for me. Like these were my people, this is my tribe. I love this place. It was the, do it was the donuts after church. I, even though I was a little kid too, I could sense with Pastor Decker and his wife, I could sense that they were good and they were loving and they were wise. And I, I, even as a little kid, I just wanted to be around them. I, I, I could sense th that. I asked my parents the other night and I was sure that they hadn't thought of Wellesley Baptist Church in many years, because this was a few years ago. But I asked them, I said, when, you, when we showed up at that church, like you stuck there for, for a long time before we moved, what, what made you feel loved at that uh, place? And uh, the first thing dad said was, well, they just, 
they just paid, they just paid attention to us like we, like we mattered. They embraced us right from the beginning. Dad said it was a men's group that made such a big difference for him in the early years. Up on the third floor of the church, they called it the attic. The men would gather up there. He said, I had no idea how to be a Christian man. This was totally new to me. And those men really mentored me and discipled me. We had such fun together. I can remember we would go on retreats to Cape Cod and stay in a beach each house together. He said, I was the cook. I was the cook for the weekend. And, and, but those were formative times. Mom said, I, I was in three different groups because I was, I was so hungry for God, she said. I could not get enough. He was moving in my heart and in my life. And these women came around me and they would call me and they would pray for me. I couldn't get enough. And they said, you know, now we sort of know how to get plugged into a church and, we, and hopefully now we know how to be that loving person to other people. But back then that was so important how that church loved us and embraced us. Do I love the church? And more specifically, do I love the people who come through that door on Sunday morning? because God has placed them here. He's placed each of us here. And if we wanna grow, what we must do is love the people around us. You know, sometimes we can say, and I say this too, I, you know, hey, I love the music or I love this program or I, I love the mission and all of that's true. But what's most important is that we love the people that God has placed around us. Here's the second word, though, in that verse to the Roman church that I want to pull out when he says, and called to be his holy people. You can write that word called in as number eight. Each person is loved and called by God, and it is this calling that unites us together. We have a common calling that unites us together. You heard the shepherd's voice. I heard the shepherd's voice. We are following the master. It is that common calling that unites us against all superficial differences that we may uh, see. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4.4. Don't miss this. He says there, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Did you get that? What binds us together is that we are one body and one spirit with one calling. This trumps all of our differences that are on the surface. There is great diversity among God's people, isn't there? Uh, diversity of backgrounds, of family, of culture, of ethnicity. Some are country folks, some are city people. There's diversity of age, there is diversity of occupation and the experiences we've had, and yet we share a common calling of what we were, of what we are now through God's grace and what we will be, uh, that glorious hope for the future. And that's more important than any other difference that we may 
uh, experience. Because if we just look at the surface only, we can struggle to identify with someone, or it can be hard to see how we belong, and yet there is something greater that bonds us together. One body, one spirit, one glorious calling. As a college student, I went to an off-campus church. It was uh, a vineyard church, and it, uh, it gave me my first experience in being a part of a home group or a life group, as we, as we call it around here. And the first time that I went, I wasn't at all sure this was a good idea, <laughs> that this was going to be a good experience. Uh, because, okay, here was the group when I first showed up at the meeting. It was myself, it was another college student who, she was a uh, classical violinist in the conservatory, which that wasn't a world I really trafficked uh, in at that, at that time. There was Dave. Dave was, um, uh, uh, David had, was, a re- was a recovered uh, addict who loved Jesus with all of his heart. He had had a lot of trauma in his, uh, in, in his early years. And uh, there was a woman whose uh, husband had uh, died recently. And then there was the retired couple who was hosting this Motley crew in their living room. <laughs> and so I, sh- I just like, I was like, I don't think this group is gonna gel. I don't think this is gonna work. And yet here was the amazing thing, that on the surface, we may not have had a ton in common, but because of our common calling and the bond of the spirit and our love for Jesus that animated us, that drew drew us together, none of us wanted to miss week after week. I loved hearing the different perspectives on the Bible that each person had. And as we opened it together, as we prayed for one another, as we shared our various perspectives on life, I really grew and I learned to appreciate each person there and to grow in my love for God's people and for God's church. And here's the thing, I learned it in a group. And I want to encourage you to be in one during the next six weeks when we're doing the Better Together series. Even if it's people, it might be people you know, but it might not. And sometimes that's the whole grand adventure of the big thing, is learning to love the people that God places us with in any moment. And I, uh, you know, the challenge here at, at the end is that if you're not in a group, you can head to the group connection in the gym today after the service, or you can come down front if you want to host a group. But as you're thinking about doing that and being a part of it, I want you to watch this video. Cody and Adam uh, put it together for us along with some of our um, life group hosts. And it's about 10 minutes, but it's worth the watch. You listen. At Brandywine, we place a high value on community. One of the best ways this takes place is in our life groups. As we kick off our next series on how we are better together, we strongly encourage you to join a group to get the most out of the series. I would encourage anybody who's either stuck in their faith, new to their faith, um, wanting relationship with people, um, wanting growth, just to try it. What we fail to remember is that uh, 
the, the purpose of a home group is to learn and become closer to God. I would recommend anybody like either joining or starting a life group because what you're going to get from it it's not even explainable until you do it. I, I, I pray everybody who is thinking about going to a home group, I hope that they understand there is a point where they will be comfortable. Just put out that effort to get past that point and they'll be, they'll be comfortable. When you join a group, you will be welcomed in with open arms and meet people with whom you can share life's experiences. We didn't really know anything other than just be completely hospitable. Like literally, like the door is open, come on in. When I first joined, I thought, oh, I can't join a home group because I don't know enough and they're gonna know more than me and I'm gonna feel so uncomfortable. And, and um, that is not true at all. You don't have to have a big knowledge. You just have to have the love of our Lord and the heart to be there and share. You know, there'll be times where life's happening and you go, man, I wish we didn't have to do this tonight. You know, I'm not in the mood of this, that, and the other, but at, at the end of the night, it's like, I'm really glad we got to do this. We've got a saying at our small group, what's said in home group uh, stays in home group. Because sometimes, you know, somebody may open up about something that bothers them, when in reality, somebody else in the same room has the same problem, and so that helps that conversation start because they realize it's not just, I, I'm normal. Somebody else has the same issues that I'm dealing with. Being a part of a life group is great, but being a life group host also has great rewards. Maybe you are feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit to take the next step and host a new group in your home. We can never have too many hosts, and it really isn't as intimidating as you might first think. Being prepared to host a, a group was a real, um, area of uh, trepidation for me because no, I don't have a pastoral degree. Um, you know, I wasn't sure I would be prepared, but there's the calling for God for us to go through life together. And the, the uh, staff, they set you up for success. They prep us with the questions. They, you know, um, instruct you of how to lead and how to get people involved. And it, it's it's not as challenging as you might think. Starting a small group was, we were like, you know, we don't want to like lead people down the wrong path. Like, yeah. you know, we don't know enough about the Bible or we don't know where to tell them to go. Or like, we don't want to be the ones that like, oh, come to our small group. And then we tell you something that's going to be all wrong. And, you know, that's what I really like about how it's somewhat structured. Just because you're, you're leading it doesn't mean that you're necessarily leading, you're just part of a small group that where everybody is kind of teaching and talking and you, know, you don't have to have all the answers and you can, you know, if someone's struggling and you can't find the answer, you don't know the answer, then you just tell them like, you know, I'll help you find the answer or we'll, we'll find the answer mm -hmm. together. But you know, that's part of growing together. Um, it was easier for us to start a life group oh, yes, yes, than yes. it was for us to join a life yes, group. Yes. So having, Having the experience, I don't want to say control in our home, but like we were kind of able to know what to expect rather than taking our kids to somebody's house and then expecting them to behave or, or whatever, <laughs> you know, like it's like they can just run around our house. And rest assured, being perfect is not a requirement of being a life group host. I think in the beginning there was a little bit of struggle 
with like wanting to absolutely like just lock everything in and sort of like do the questions and do the studying and do all of it perfectly. And it was probably after the first um, like group that we had that we realized that that was not going to happen and life is what it is. And so we realized that having conversation and, and discussing the word in, in whatever manner that it happened was better than not having it at all. And it's just more of a leap of faith, just, you know, trusting that God's going to make that work out. And when you take that leap to host a life group, you are going to see spiritual growth both in yourself and in the members of your group. You grow together, you support each other, and you get to see lives change together. Where God leads me, I'm going to go. And I've been out of my comfort zone for three years, but <laughs> it, it's benefited me. And I wouldn't say I'm not in my comfort zone now. You know, I feel like I could lead a small group. I do feel like um, spiritually we have grown a lot um, in my prayer life through Absolutely. being a leader. Um, I do pray for everybody in our group. I mean, everybody has their challenges and their needs. And um, I do feel like my prayer life has increased dra dramatically. Yeah, it's been a great blessing. And I saw a lot of growth in my husband. Um, <laughs> specifically, I've been speaking to him very much. You are a leader. You are a leader. You are a leader. It is in there. And so getting to see some of that coming out of him um, and seeing his spiritual growth as well, which then also, you know, helps me to have more spiritual growth. And just for our for our kids to be seeing that, that was something that we all agreed on in our group. Like we want our kids to see yes. us doing this. I think spiritually our group has grown because we had two very, very people in our group that um, that we loved and we lost. So, um, I'm sorry, as a home group, it just brought us stronger because we all shared that same feeling of losing them and losing part of our home group. So, we have um, rallied and stayed strong and helped each other when we needed to, to do that and be there for each other. Uh, our growth spiritually between me and Tammy, yes, leaps and bounds because I think of the home group and what we do at the home group. Have I seen my home group as a whole grow? Every one of them. I really think it was kind of neat to see one of the younger fathers kind of grow by even being led by two fathers and men of the family who who were a little more um, spiritual and who had a little more guidance. Um, I thought that that was a really neat thing to see and then just even like receiving a card after the group um, and the, with the woman saying like thank you so much for inviting us to your group um, our family has really grown from this you know we're going to church now and I just for me I think that that was that was a really powerful moment an excellent question has seen growth within the group and I can honestly say I think every member of our life group has grown ourselves included um, Thinking back to, <clears throat> we had um, a person who had a brain cancer, 
uh, or a brain tumor in our group that um, one of our members of the group said, let's pray for him. And we prayed, uh, prayed extensively, I mean, very, very extensively. And right before their surgery, the tumor had disappeared. I saw members who were angry have it taken away, right? Members with, you know, addictions or, or things that were dragging them where Satan was trying to pull them down, where you just say, God, you're going to take this bad thing and we're going to use it for your glory and your will. And all of a sudden you have that peace about you that you, 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 I didn't have that three years ago. You know, we didn't have that three years ago. Ultimately, when you join or host a life group, a surprising thing happens. Your group becomes a family. It's a kind of like our own little family of church right there. I think just, I, we just tried to make everyone just feel like... Like family. Right. I grew up in a family of only a, with a sister, a sibling, and a small family. I always wanted a large family. And I realized that by hosting a group, I actually, we've created a large family. You know, I think that's part of why God calls us to fellowship. We're helping each other, you know, and getting an opportunity to become family without blood family. Because I didn't, I don't think I realized you, you do have to have community and you do have to have the other people. You know, it might be one week, somebody's just got something horrible going on in their life and home groups put aside because we're family now. We're gonna take care of that person's need. And that is so important that people don't realize that if you don't have it, you don't miss it, but once you have it, it's, it's huge. I mean, we are very blessed with that in our home group, and I'm sure everybody else feels the same way as in a home group, but for us, it's, it's a blessing. We really hope you'll join and even consider hosting a life group for the next six weeks. If you do, you'll quickly find that as a church family, we are better together. Yeah, wasn't that cool? <laughs> so here's, uh, here's the encouragement as we close. is simply that if you're not in a group, give it a shot. And if just head to the gym after the service and you can find one. Or if you want to learn about hosting uh, one with a few friends, meet us down front. We'll get you all taken care of. If you're watching online, maybe you can do a Zoom group or just have a smaller group at your house. We want to help you do that. Just fill out uh, the response card.